Chapter One. This is the story behind one of the greatest manhunts in history. Maybe you read about it, or rather what they let you read about it, probably is some minor item buried somewhere on a back page. However, what happened in that city between May 16th and May 28th of this year was so incredible that to this day the facts have been suppressed in a massive effort to save certain political careers from disaster and law enforcement officials from embarrassment. This will be the last time I will ever discuss these events with anyone. So when you have finished this bizarre account, judge for yourself its believability, and then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our discussion about uh, the Ray Bradbury Theater, Sound of Thunder, and um, really, really, really tiny armed uh, T-Rexes and whatever that was. Um, I, I I had a wonderful conversation with Terry about it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, that like I, I, it, I have two mea culpas here uh, coming into the beginning of this episode. One is picking that as a subject. <laughs> It was still a fun talk, and I'm glad we dabbled into the Ray Bradbury Theater. And two, um, before we get into what we're talking about tonight, I didn't even get the name of the movie right. So I'm doing really well. If I could go back in time in a time ball, I would fix a couple things. So you, you sat on a butterfly and somehow <laughs> screwed it up, and then we're back to here. So yes. somehow we've, we've righted the ship either way, so it's all good. It's weird. I went back and sat on a butterfly, and then there's this still this weird Nazi wave happening in the present day that uh, no one wants to acknowledge. Oh no, I said too much. All right. Get, so. get out and vote soon, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Welcome to the political uh, vote cast that we're going to no, um, no, Welcome to strange highways. This is a show in which we've been watching. Um, we love anthology and we love uh, weird offshoots. We're, we're having a detour tonight. That is a wonderful one that leads into kind of an anthology show. We'll talk more, more about that in a second. Uh, we've been covering the twilight zone, the original series. Um, we covered both um, the seasons of the paramount plus uh, uh Jordan Peele produced series as well. And we have been taking a bit of a um, mid season break from the eighties uh, twilight. zone. we covered um, the first half season one. Uh, we promise you this will be our last detour. Um, if you've been waiting for more twilight zone, goodness uh, we'll get into, I'm sorry. No, sorry. One more detour after this. I apologize. Look at me messing don't, up left don't and right. You lie. Don't you yeah, lie. Yeah, we have one more detour after this then, and starting in November, we'll get back to the twilight zone, right? For good we're, reason. For good, yeah, like, yeah. We're yeah, getting yeah, into like the they, Christmas episode in November, but that feels better than the Christmas episode in October. Yeah. Especially weird. if you're listening to this, like what, closer to the date that this is released. Yeah. We don't want to do that to people that love the spooky stuff. So yeah. we're getting into some spooky stuff. Terry, Terry pulled a knife on me 
and said, we're not going to cut. He took a bottle of uh, pumpkin from Southern Tier and broke it and shoved it against my throat and told me that we're covering spooky stuff until the end of October. Even yeah. though I was just at the grocery store two days ago and I saw all the Christmas beers out. I sharpened a piece of uh, candy corn and I was going to stab you with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of all the ways to die, that'd be the lamest way to die is by candy, by, by sharpened, sharpened candy corn. Um, yeah. So you say that, but somehow it's going to be worked into trick or treat part two now. Oh, so. I mean that, well, sure. Like I, like, you know, if, if like, if, it, if it's like, that guy looks like me, all oh, he died by candy corn. That seems appropriate. Like, but not because I ate it just because I fell on a bunch of it. You know, like, like accidentally I was just walking into a room and then I just slipped and fall into a bunch of sharp candy corn. That feels like that's appropriate to the way I would go that I would die because like a death by a million cuts, but also by a candy that I do not like. That seems very appropriate. Or or somehow eventually because you got like, you fell onto it and absorbed into your skin. Like 20 years later, you got cancer or no, no. Or that day it's like too much (laughs) sugar. I'm dead. You know, like that's, uh, that's what would happen. Right. So I feel like it's appropriate. So thank you for calling out my future death. Um, no. Um, so yeah, we're still in the spooky stuff. Uh, we will get to the, the twilight zone, uh, the, the, uh, remake of, or the update of night of the meek in November. So we have this detour and then one next week, but yeah, I think it's all it's like, but in October, like I know you're much more of a Halloween guy than I am. I'm not saying I don't dislike it. I think it's fun uh, for now I, until I, somehow you are some, uh, worked into the fold. You will assimilate and you will be part of the team. No, I feel like there's going to be like, it's going to be a situation like that movie, the collector where somehow I'm in a house and I fall in a trap full of sharpened candy corn that you set up. That's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be a bunch of like, it's going to be like, um, like it's going to be like a Willy Wonka, like just fun house of murder, just involving various candies, killing people. And that's my death. So um, yeah. Anyway, and then you know, at one point you'll be like, um, like not the candy corn stuff and be like, look at you dying of a not so Mr. Good bar or whatever. I don't know. That's, so, that's so, so this is like, like a weird remake of the ice cream man, but like, it's going to be like the sweets. <laughs> this was name's going to be the sweets. Yeah. You're just going to lure a bunch of type two diabetics into a house and just kill them uh, with various candies. <laughs> You know, that, that, you know, people would watch that. It's fine. Anyway. So yeah, it's still spooky season. We're, um, what is it? We're like, uh, just uh, like a, a less than two weeks out from Halloween. Um, so yeah, we're still getting into things here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the second Mia culpa as, a, as opposed to me uh, getting other things wrong here is that I said the next episode we'd be getting into is the night strangler. Um, that is not the name of the film that we're covering. Uh, forgive me. It was the Night Stalker, which was released the year before, and it, they're almost the same name of movies. So if you're listening here and didn't follow us on Facebook, which I understand that everybody follows us on social media all the time, um, if you watched um, the Night Strangler, I apologize. I've not seen it. I'm sure I've heard good. Th- I'm, I'm sure it's great because Kolchak is a great character. Stop listening now and go check out the Night Stalker because that's what we meant to talk about. So forgive me for saying the wrong name of the wrong movie. Correct. And uh, yeah, so this came by popular request of uh, Mr. El Goro. Um, he, he is a great friend and a great podcaster, and he does the Talk Without Rhythm podcast, and he suggested this, and uh, we were super, super stoked to ch- 
check it out and get into it. Yeah, he's been a big champion for Kolchak, um, the character, the series, and these movies forever. And um, I've, I've heard it. I've he has referenced it multiple times. It's it's something that I knew of. I just have not gotten into. Um, so, and also I think this was mentioned in, uh, Don's Macabre, which is the Stephen King nonfiction horror book that he put out in like the late eighties, kind of like, it was kind of like his like treatises on like horror, which I don't know if you've read that one or not. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, there's a lot, there's, he has, um, this interesting talk about like, there's like the four main like horror ideas. It was like, um, what was it? Um, was it the, the, the ghost, the vampire, the werewolf and the haunted house. Like that was his big, like, like his four pillars and about how most stories can fall within most of those. And he goes on to talk about, it. it's really cool. And I'm sure he's mentioned uh, Kolchak in there as well. But yeah, uh, we're getting into the Night Stalker, which is a made for TV movie that was released in 1972. Um, air date um, was uh, January 11th, 1972. Number one film, The Cowboys. I have no idea what it is. It's probably about a, um, a, a football team that had better days earlier. And, um, is, is sometimes okay, but not really. I'm kidding. I don't know what the movie is about. As long as Tony Romo isn't thrown from. <laughs> <laughs> it's his Cooper rush. Uh, so, um, oh. yeah, he's Number- actually doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Right. Um, <laughs> As opposed to Andy Dalton. Anyway, sorry. Welcome everybody to football talk. Uh, number one song, <laughs> brand new key by Melanie, which is, I think that's the one about, I got a pair of roller skates and you got a brand new key. I think that's the song, you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is like, it's, it, it, it's an earworm. It gets stuck in your head. So I think that's what, um, you know, the, the, that song. So, uh, I don't have anything for the day of January 11th when this, this aired on TV, but I have from uh, day and date for January 12th, which I think is very important because in hindsight, it's like, oh shit, this was a big deal. The first regulations limiting exposure to asbestos were announced by the United States Department of Labor. Widely used in construction because of its fireproof nature, asbestos has been proven to be carcinogenic in the long term. Yeah, we found out that to be true. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, thank God uh, we figured it all out, finally. I just yeah. The two things I'll say about that is, one, I remember there was an early issue of the Fantastic Four where somebody threw an asbestos blanket over the human torch. <laughs> like You're like, you know, you've been exposed to cosmic rays. I think you've already dealt with worse, but that's terrible. And then, two, I remember when I was in, when I was in high school, they actually had, like, this was, this was in the, ni- the 90s. This was still 20 years later where they were, like, going in and actively removing, removing asbestos from places. I don't know if you remember that at all growing up where there was a big push to get asbestos out of, like, uh, buildings in, in general. No, I, I didn't really focus on the news when I was younger, but, like, it, I, you know, it's so ingrained into our, uh, our psyche now, as far as like old homes and old, uh, buildings mm-hmm. and like what's being torn down and how it needs to be secured when they do it. It's like, you never really think about that stuff and lead paint too. It's like, Oh it's, yeah. It's like, thank God we finally figured out that certain things are really bad for us. What I even think that's a major plot point of the film session nine, where they send people in to take out the asbestos out of that, um, that uh, mental hospital, right? I don't know if you see session. I still, need, I still oh. need to see that, man. Yeah, uh, the Tim Roth is in it. I think not Tim Roth. It's um oh, it's it's what's his name from uh, CSI uh, Las Vegas. It's uh, uh oh, you're talking uh, uh, redhead dude, right? <laughs> redhead dude. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. 
guy. That guy. Uh, God. <laughs> I, I no, can't CSI Miami. Is Miami. Is that Miami? Redhead dude is his yeah. new name now. So. Yeah, redhead dude. David Caruso is Horatio Kane. CSI Miami, you know. AKA yeah. Redhead dude. Yeah, um, he, <laughs> yeah I have not seen it. He was always just like, you know, look at that person. I guess they ran out of time or whatever he says, you know. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. It became yeah. such a it, it's such a joke, like a meme. Yeah. Uh, before memes were created <laughs> yeah it was always that and then the, like the the who with a yeah the, like an eagle screaming or something i don't know but uh, right. no but this was like between gigs of like um nypd again That's um the, the song it's from yeah right. it was like when he was part of like what was the, the that uh the other um uh, um nypd blue and he was like i'm gonna become this big famous actor man and then it didn't go so well for him so he ended up on csi so in between that he actually did uh session nine and he overacts a little bit, but it kind of fits the character. And Session Nine's a great film. That's not what we're talking about tonight, but people should check out Session Nine. It's a great movie. Been, um, been yeah. trying to get to it, uh, yeah. and you know, life. Uh, Fair <laughs> enough. Um, I would love to sit down with you in a physical capacity and show you Session Nine. That's it's it's um um it's one of those like we talked about the Changeling about how you have supernatural films that kind of like they play by rules. And they have a little bit more grounding. Sesh, I think Session Nine is one of those two. So it's 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 a great watch. That's again not this episode that we're talking about right now. Yeah, but so, back to this episode. Yes. So let's get into who did what here. Let's get into uh, cast and crew. Okay. So um, so our sorry, I, I was off my notes here. Uh, so our director here is uh, John Llewellyn. Llewellyn. There's a lot of L's in there. Moxie. Yeah. Yeah, Lewell Moxie. Uh, sorry, I, I, I'm not very good at names. I, th- I think it's I, Lewell, everybody should know that by now. Lewin, <laughs> Lewin. I don't know. It's just Lewin? a bunch of L's. Um, it's it's like me trying to run hurdles and falling over every one of them. You know. So and, yeah. So yeah. So uh, episodes of uh, Mission Impossible, um, the original series, and then uh, also episodes of Murder She Wrote. Uh, I, I don't know if there was any other notes you wanted to bring up for this gentleman. Uh, 1960s uh, City of the Dead, which seems like to be something people have referenced a lot. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, Circus of Fear, which is around the same time as well. A lot of made-for-TV movies, which seems perfect for what we're about to talk about. Yeah, he, he definitely has uh, it marked in his like idea of what he needs to film and how it's shot. Like The aesthetic to this film is great mm-hmm. a little dark but we'll get into all the rest of the notes on that uh so our writer we have two credits here the story uh was credited to jeffrey grant rice all of the kolchak stuff so like everything that is part of this universe he he wrote it um there, so there's uh, obviously what we were talking about earlier there is this film then the night strangler then there is a series, and then I believe there might have been another movie too. Okay, so that gets a little weird. So I yeah, think it's it, a little yeah. strange in the notes I found too. So from what I understand is that Jeff Rice actually had an unpublished story that was this that um, Mathis, Richard Matheson, who is the guy with teleplay, we'll, like, of course we'll talk about him in a second. So this came to pass being a TV movie, and then he and Matheson worked together on the Night Strangler, and then when the Kolchak TV series got greenlit, I think it's one of those things where he got credit for characters. I don't think he actually wrote anything else after that. Yeah. Um, and then when that series kind of didn't do much, um, th- um, 
the powers that be tried to make a third movie, but what they ended up doing was just taking footage from like a couple different episodes of Kolchak and editing it together and having our main actor, uh, uh, Darren McGavin do some voiceover. Okay. So it gets a little loosey goosey from what I understand. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, then also there was a kind of a revival recreation of the, the storyline for TV. Um, and that was from 2005 to 2006. Yeah. It didn't last uh, long, which is funny because ABC, like you appreciate this, Terry, it's kind of a Friday 13th thing where okay. they only own the rights to the characters in the, in the first movie. So they really couldn't do much like to, so when they did the night stalker revival, they were limited in what they could use in terms of Canon, which feels very okay. much like the Friday 13th lawsuit but, but between the two guys. Right. So where it's like, you can use the name, but not everybody, or it's like, you can use certain characters, but not the name. That's, that's the vibe I got from what I was reading about everything. See, I, I did not know about this series. And I mean, obviously it was a very short run, but it's like, where was the advertising for this? Because I think this would have been like my bread and butter. Like I would have loved to have watched it. Well, you said that the, this was a 2005, right? So that was the tail end of the X-Files, right? So yeah, that's around yeah. that time. Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of people chasing that X-Files like vibe, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And ABC tried it and rightfully so. Cause I'm going to jump the gun a little bit. I don't think we get the X-Files without the night stalker. And um, I don't think we also get a uh, uh, supernatural. Both, without yeah, absolutely. One of yeah, them. yeah, right. We I don't think we get a lot of these uh, this kind of procedural monster of the week type of thing. I mean, I guess you could argue the Outer Limits did it kind of, but when you're actually having more of an investigative body with uh, you know Carl Kochak or you know you know uh, Scully and Mulder. Right. Like, and like, well, we're jumping the gun, but I think this, this so before, like, I guess let's get to the, the, through who did what here. And then like, I am interested to hear your, um, take coming into this because you were really excited to talk about this and I'm excited too. Don't get me wrong. But whenever this was like pitched to you, it felt like you were being like, wait, I didn't know this existed. Let's get into it. Yeah. So, so and, yeah. Uh, well, then next here, our our second credit for writing is the screenwrite or the screenplay rather was uh, by Matheson. Yes. So I I don't know how much more we want to <laughs> say about Richard Matheson because I think that like most of this uh, this podcast has been like revolving around different little uh, pieces and parts that have to either do with Matheson or like intersect with Matt. Yeah, no, he's one of the pillars of like the main pillars of the twilight zone, the original series. Um, so yeah, like he's one of the big three or four they want to put in there. I guess five, if you want to include Hamner, right? but he was part of like one of the main guys, right? Between the, for the original twilight zone. Um, and then oh, spoiler, the thing we're going to talk about next week is, is all written by Matheson as well. So like, I guess I snuck in my Matheson love, right? Um, I think this is interesting because, um, he wrote, uh, I am legend in 1954, right? Which, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's a great book. It's a really good book. And then that was turned into the film last man on earth with Vincent price in 64, which I've not seen, but I need to, Oh, it's uh, all, dude, dude, I, okay. check that movie I, okay, out. Okay. Public domain. <laughs> easy. Every, that's it's spooky season. Everybody's homework is watch last man on earth. Yeah. It is. It, it literally is the influence for night of the living dead. 
check it out. Yeah. And then it, that got remade in 71 as the Omega man with uh, Chuck mm-hmm. Heston, um, which with really, really cool disco soundtrack. Not really. Um, and then I got uh, remade again. And what was it like the early, like late, the early two thousands, right? Like, well, no, sorry. Mid two thousands yeah. with, um, with I am legend with Will Smith. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is a story that has had legs, um, what I, what I, the reason I wanted to mention this is because this isn't Matheson's first go around with the uh, with the idea of a modern day spoiler a vampire, right? So I think that's worthy of note. So I that's I wanted to make it a point that this isn't his first rodeo, and he's had time to ruminate on like how something like this would operate. So I thought that was cool to mention uh, in terms of like a tying in, and also because of the Twilight Zone. Um, and then also, I don't know if you noticed, there's uncredited work by Max Hodge. I don't know who this is. He did a bunch of like 28 credits appears to be all TV work. So that might just be the nature of writing for like, uh, like a relatively longer form TV movie. Cause this thing only runs like, um, was it like an hour and 14 minutes? Um, that, yeah, it's approximately it. And then they, you know, yeah. made for TV, there was commercial breaks. So, you know, it works out to be like an hour and a half, you know, if you were to watch us on television. Yeah. But. So, so yeah, that's who I have. But Matheson, you, you know me, I, I adore Matheson. I love his, uh, he is such, he's so good at writing like, like amazing ideas, but keeping it like very straightforward and grounded in terms of very, being very approachable. And I felt his fingerprints all over this when we're watching it. Yeah, very much yeah. so. I, I mean, you don't have to get into the ooky spooky stuff too much with this. Like it is a pretty straightforward, uh, murder mystery, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, it feels very grounded. And so, yeah. So anyways, yeah. Back to the cast. Here we go. Uh, we got Darren McGavin. He plays Carl Kolchak, our main, uh, antagonist here. Uh, it, he is most famous, I believe, from the Christmas story. He's the father in the Christmas story. And he was also in Billy Madison and he was also in raw deal, which, you know, I'm a raw deal fan. So I don't know if you like that film, but yeah. Um, I need to see raw deal. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've not seen it. I've heard good things about it. I know. I know. I know. It's ridiculous. It's, I know. I want to, I need to see it. I've heard nothing but fun things about it. So, so here, here also what I want to mention about Darren McGavin is that he played uh, Mike hammer, like another detective, right? A hard boiled detective in the TV series, Mike hammer. Uh, and then, um, he'd also appear, appeared in, um, what was it? Uh, two episodes of Alfred Hitchcock presents, which I think is appropriate. What, since the, the detours have been taken and then he'd also appear one episode of the Alfred Hitchcock hour. Um, so there we go. So like he, um, like Darren McGavin's great. And it's like, when you mentioned Billy Madison, I love that he's the father and it's like, he doesn't put up with bullshit. I think <laughs> like that's probably the first time I remember him other than the Christmas story, but he's just one of those guys that is very, uh, very recognizable has a like, immediate on screen, like charisma and his, his take on Kolchak, like, how can you not like fall in love with this? Like, you know, this kind of like a uh, rough and tumble reporter that just, he just has his own attitude. I, 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 I love Darren McGavin. There is a certain delivery to his role in everything that I've seen him in that mm-hmm. I just, I really, really genuinely love. Uh, his character acting here. And he was and, also, um, sorry, he was also in two episodes of the X-Files. So you can tell that Chris Carter was like, like, I need to get Kolchak in here. That makes right. complete sense. Yeah, definitely. So then next here we have uh, Carol Lindley. Uh, plays Gail Foster. 
she was in uh, a little bit of a uh, night gallery, which ties into everything we've talked about in the past with this series of uh, uh, podcast episodes. Uh, one of my favorite um, like disaster type films is the Poseidon adventure. She's in that. And then she's in one of the sequels to the blob called Beware of the blob. Mm-hmm. So she actually had a number of golden globe nominations, like growing up, she was like a younger actress. Um, and then eventually she got started getting cast as the, the blonde girl next door gone bad. She was an episode of Alfred Hitchcock presents, but then, um, they said that her peak year, according to like all reporting was 65, where she posed nude at 22 for a uh, playboy. And then she ended up starring in, um, uh, a Gene Harlow bio biopic, uh, biopic, sorry, in 65, uh, that film failed. And then, so the decline in her career started like from that point, And then in 67, um, she was, uh, in some other roles and then she ended up in the night stalker, which kind of gave her a little bit of a push and the Poseidon adventure, but it never really ever like, she never got as high as that. She like her trajectory was. And then she also made, like, there's some kind of quote that she had about like, like I'm smart and I have my head on straight and like, like my screw, like my, 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 what was it? My screws aren't loose. I like, I'm like, I will get it done. Basically. She's like, she value herself and be like, I'm not an idiot. I will like, I'm, I know my worth. So I appreciate that. Uh, but the fact that she kind of had this arc before this, and then she ended up in a TV movie that also kind of gave her some acclaim. And then to go on to the Poseidon adventure, which to, to continue on with um, a theme tonight, um, I've not seen that one either. So dang it. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to have a film night of movies that Paul has not seen. That <laughs> well, he... that list is going to get long. So like, whatever. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Paul. Well, I, well, I'm right there with it. All right. Anyways. Um, so next here we have Simon Oakland. Uh, he plays a Tony Vincenio. Vincenio. Uh, Vincenzo. Yeah. He, 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 Mr. Yeah. Shouty man that we have in this, this, this movie. Yeah. So Mr. Shouty man was in two episodes <laughs> of twilight zone, the original series. He was in the rip band Winkle caper. And he was also in the 30 fathom grave. Uh, I, I somehow put it in my notes as 30 father, a father grave. I don't <laughs> the know 30 why. father grave, you know. <laughs> but uh, he was also in psycho. So yeah. yeah. So he they, was the guy at the end that the movie, I love psycho, but he like the movie kind of comes to a halt where he explains the whole movie in the last 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. He's the doctor in that Dr. Fred Richmond. Um, but yeah, like that's him. Vin- Vincenzo. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but also we, yeah, we know him from Twilight Zone and it was, you know, like him, there's other couple uh, actors we're going to get into here in a second that have Twilight Zone connections as well. Yeah. yeah, A lot of connected tissue to what we've discussed in the past episodes. Uh, So while uh, Ralph Meeker is the next uh, credit here, uh, Bernie Jenks, uh, he was in Playhouse 90 and then some Alfred Hitchcock presents. No. So the one of the, so like um, we mentioned about how, um, uh, Darren McGavin was in, um, Mike Hammer, the TV series. Right. Um, Ralph Meeker was Mike Hammer in 1955's Kiss Me Deadly, which is a really cool, uh, noir film that, um, uh, speaking of the El Goro last November, he did a noir member and talked about that film and had a friend of the show, uh, in the person, you know, uh, Mr. Steve King, who's with, with me on Invasion of the podcast. And they talked about that and, um, uh, touch of evil. And so uh, Kiss Me Deadly is a really cool movie. So we have two Mike Hammer connections here. So I just wanted to, to mention that. I'm glad you brought to that to this, uh, to this discussion because that is something that uh, 
I've been waiting to get to um, for El Goro's uh, conversation with Steve. And I, I love Noir and like his conversations in general are awesome. So I know that that's going to be a great one with Steve. So yeah, it's just, it's I, tough because that film's hard to get unless you buy like the Blu-ray directly. Cause it's hard. It's one of those ones that's not out there streaming. And I ended up borrowing uh, the Blu-ray to watch it. Cause you know, like it's just, it's not out there, but it's a cool movie. So yes, I, when you get a chance, check it out. No, oh, definitely. I'm definitely going to check it out. Especially if it comes by recommendation of Oh Goro as well. But, but not um, me. Okay, fine. I get it. I'm <laughs> and Steve King and, and here's and the order. Sedman. Here's the ordering: the Goro, uh, the Steve, and Paul. I get it. It's fine. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> Anyways, so <laughs> next here we have uh, uh, Claude Aikens. Uh, he plays Sheriff Butcher. Uh, he pl- he was also in two episodes of uh, Twilight Zone. The monsters are due on Maple Street, which is obviously an incredible episode, mm-hmm. and then the little people, which is not so much um, yeah, an incredible I, episode. I, I <laughs> and then uh, he was also in uh, some episodes of The Albert Hitchcock Presents mm-hmm. and Hour. So, and then here next we have uh, Charles uh, McCraw. He was Sheriff Mas- Matherson or Matterson. Yeah, I guess that would be the better pronunciation up here. He was in Spartacus and he was also in the birds. Yeah. And hang them high and the Alfred Hitchcock hour. So there we go. Yeah. And then next is Ken Smith. Uh, so, oh my God. Uh, yeah. So DA Payne, uh, the district attorney that is, and he was in cat people, the original, and he was also in curse of the cat people, the sequel. And, uh, like an episode of night gallery. Yeah, I have, I have two episodes in that gallery, two episodes of outer limits and an episode okay. Alfred Hitchcock presents. I just, I, but I, like there's a lot of people in this and like, and I was just like, well, I've already mentioned these. I should probably at least keep giving credit as I go along. Yeah. It's it, yeah. We're almost like, I could, I don't know a spoiler. Um, when we got to like the other people that were like uncredited, I kind of didn't look into well, that. As far as like the main credits I wanted to bring to yes. the table, the people that we've already discussed, and then two more people, just because I know that they have a little bit more footing oh, in for sure. things yeah. that we've had in the past, and that and maybe something that they uh, have in this in this discussion here. So, uh, is Jaya Elijah Elijah Cook Jr. He plays Mick, uh, Mickey Crawford. He was in one of the episodes of the. 80s version of the twilight zone which we will get to in some uh at some episode here uh in our future discussions he was also in house and on the hill which that was where i recognized him from the entire time that i was watching this film i was like i know that dude i'm just missing the white mucus from the sides of his lips um (laughs) (laughs) and he's also in rosemary's baby and the made for tv film salem's lot uh, it is incredible if no one's ever seen that. That's solid, um, yeah. That that is like one that might rival this and it as the best of all time. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I also want to mention he was in The Big Sleep and The Maltese Falcon, which are also wonderful noirs that um, were discussed on the the noir vember uh, with the El Goro. Uh, yeah. He was also in uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and uh, Dead of Night from 77, which, spoilers, uh, we might get to next week. So, Oh, ooh. yeah. All right, so next and last credit I have um, is Barry Atwood uh, or Atwater. I'm sorry, uh, Janos Scorzeni. Scorzeni, I think it is pronounced. Is that Scorzeni? 
Yeah, I right. just they, the the name was weird. Yeah, but yeah, our our main um <clears throat> our main bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one Twilight Zone episode, and that was the monsters are due on Maple Street. So we have another alum from that uh, episode, and then he, we're gonna get the the triple hat here. He's also was in Playhouse ninety and Night Gallery. Yeah, he was the guy drinking the night milk and the monsters <laughs> drove Maple Street. Uh, yeah, night milk. Uh, okay. Night milk. He was drinking some night milk. He was just like outside, like looking at the sky, drink, the- yeah, drinking night milk. It was weird. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock hour. You mentioned Outer Limits, Playhouse ninety, Star Trek. Um, so. Other people, real quick to mention here, um, we have Stanley Adams as Fred Hurley. Uh, he was in Star Trek, two episodes of Twilight Zone, Mr. Garrity in the Graves. We, he was the um, the partner to Mr. Garrity. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. His face did look familiar. Today. Yeah, and he was also in um, uh, Once Upon a Time, which was the episode that had Buster Keaton in it, and it was also written by Richard Matheson. And then we also have, um, <laughs> I have uh, Larry... Linville as McCurry. I think it's one of the doctors that is staring down at the beginning. He was in Chud too, Bud the Chud, but he was also in 120 episodes of MASH as Major Frank Burns. So I think it's important because um, a lot of people like MASH. I've never really watched it because it was a little past my time. Um, <laughs> as we're discussing things that came out in the 70s. Well, yeah, but you know, like, come on. Like, I know MASH was the thing while I was growing up, like briefly, but it's like, I've never watched MASH. A lot of people like I get I get why it was a zeitgeist. I get it, like why people were drawn to it. I don't think I ever want to like go like, you know what I need to watch? Seven thousand years of mash. I think I'm good, you know? Like and then I mean, I don't know. Are you a mash head? Is that what you are you uh, a mash potato? I don't know what they call them. Mash potato. <laughs> uh no, I, I'm not necessarily. I, I have seen some episodes. Um yeah, it's just it, it's something that kind of was on in the background, like, you know, Sanford and son. And that, but, <laughs> yeah. And, the, and, bo- both theme songs are almost the same. <laughs> <laughs> so the other two things I want to mention here real quick is uh, music is by Bob Cobert. He did the music for dark shadows, uh, which is important because Dan Curtis, who is the guy overseeing dark shadows is the producer of this made for TV film. And he would go on to direct the second film, the night strangler. Uh, so he, you know, had like a lot, like there, he worked with, uh, Dan Curtis a lot. He also did the music for a trilogy of terror, which we've not talked about on this show, but we talked about invasion trilogy of terror, which was also written by Matheson's a fun made for TV movie. And then, um, to tie into what we talked about a couple weeks ago about, uh, Alfred Hitchcock with the Roald Dahl script of Lambda the slaughter, um, mm-hmm. Bob Cobert did the music for way out which was the show that Roald Dahl introduced the segments for. That was the, like the, the, like it, it came out like a year or two before the twilight zone, which we talked nice. about, I think briefly. Right. So I thought that was worthy of note. And then the cinematographer, you talk about being dark, uh, cinematographers, Michael Hugo, I uh, did 102 episodes of Melrose place, the octagon, the Chuck Norris movie, which I need to watch. I've not seen it. Um, and then also the Manitou, Oh um, God, here which, it comes again. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Manitou. It is batshit crazy, but I love that movie. And he also did that movie in the seventies called bug, um, which I don't know if you've seen that, but I remember seeing that like on a USA, like creature feature in the middle of the night it is, it is. I, I remember being more freaked out about it as a Ashley kid. Judd film. I don't no, no, like not it. the Ashley Judd film. That's not, that's the William Friedkin one later with her. And, uh, was it, um, Michael Shannon? 
later. That's yeah, not I the same movie. Yeah. No. Um, no, it's just a film for the seventies called Bug that I remember being as a kid being freaked out by. I'm sure it's not great, but but I wanted to mention the cinematography because for a made for TV movie, this looks pretty good. And like I to be fair, the link that I posted on our Facebook feed for uh the Night Stalker was a somebody put up the like the super cleaned up release that Kino Lorber Kino Lorber put out. They're a European um like um, small press like, like boutique company boutique, yeah yeah like when like if, if we've talked about like you got your arrow you got your severin you got like the small boutique like companies kino lorber does that too and they they made this uh just look beautiful but that also shows that like the cinematography in this is actually pretty good for a made for tv movie so yeah, i wanted yeah. to like, shout so that a, out yeah 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 definitely shout out to those companies like uh, it, there are a lot of people within these like boutique industries and that that are coming to bat for people that want to see this stuff and bring it, bring the restoration to like something that can be like put onto a shelf and be worthy of having in a collection. And I think this looks beautiful for what I've seen. Um, I can't wait actually to own this and to also check out the, uh, the installments after this, like mm-hmm. th- I am really a bit like the show my hand. I'm really excited to talk about this and uh, yeah, let's get into it, man. Yeah, let's get, so yeah, let, let, let's, let's just start that. So wh- your, your familiarity with this is um, like, kind of like you're Certainly coming to the super late, right? So like not super late. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. This, this film's from the seventies. Of course you're coming to the super late, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was born 11 years later. So. <laughs> Why didn't you have an inherent knowledge of a made for TV movie <laughs> when you were born? What? No, but in terms of tried, like, you, yeah, you have, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Let's just like, wind this back a bit. I think your, your, um, your radar or your footprint for all things horror is bigger than mine. And like, and not even horror, but like, just you, like you have a love of a lot of these like weird corners, not even weird. Like, how do I phrase it? Um, you could call it weird corners. Like That's kitschy. Fine, but. Is kitschy the right thing? Cause I think maybe some of the kitschy stuff might be more your jam sometimes. Cause I think it's more of your sensibility growing up. And That's not a bad thing, but does that, if I'm not saying that correctly, like, tell me. Well, I think either way you say it is, I, it doesn't offend me by any means, but I, there is something that really was a little bit more of the, I, I don't want to say inherent, but like it was just part of my upbringing. So I was watching a lot of weird shit back in the day. And this definitely would have been something that would have been on, on the TV. And I would have just like, I would just soak it up, but this would have been alongside uh, like a lot of other stuff that, just kind of ingrained itself into the, like the fabric of what I enjoy and what I look for. And I, I don't know, like, I, I, I guess, um, the better way of saying this is there's a lot of things now that are too polished that come out and I just don't enjoy it. I love the grittiness to film. I love something that just lives in a world like this, this film really lives in this world. The storyline lives in this world. It, it just, it's more, it's, uh, uh, it breathes, you know, like mm-hmm. this, this is something like there's a universe that li- exists within the storyline. And I'm so fascinated by it. And it, like you immediately, um, are, uh, familiar with this character. Uh, so 
we get uh, Carl Kolchak, and he is a reporter that works for a newspaper in a local area of uh, Las Vegas. And he is just this guy who has a reputation, reputation of like being the dude who like, as soon as you see him coming, you're like, ah, here comes trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and, but this aesthetic also is like a uh, very familiar to me because of uh, films like dirty Harry. Like that's a good he, call. He, that's absolutely a good call. You're right about that. Yeah. He, he's kind of the villain in a sense, because he's a dude who doesn't listen to the rules and everybody who comes in, into contact with him, like, ah, God damn it. Kolchak, get out of here. You know, like, Leave us alone right now so we can do our job. So he has that reputation of just not being the dude that anybody wants to deal with at that time. But he's a man that wants yeah. to get down to the bottom of it, you know? Well, because, well, one, like you get the vibe from this. So, um, so, but okay. So in terms of this as a series and this as a character, you didn't know this was a thing until like somewhat recently, right? Is what you're saying? Like in terms, I would of, say yeah. within the last two to three years, okay. um, I've become a little bit more familiar with it and acknowledge the fact that it's something a little bit more than just, just a film, but that there is like something much more built into this character and the things that he has to deal with. And, and like, a, like a expanded universe, if you will, of the character. I'm like, well, shit. I was like, that's definitely something up my alley, but like, I, first of all obtaining uh you know all the movies or um, shows or whatever and then having the time to be able to watch all of that so I, it, it's it, it's a lot to get into and i just didn't know where to start either that's fair because like sometimes you're like well if something didn't like last long was it like was it more of like um like a blip Mm -hmm. Or was it like worth your time, right? Like, like something like right, right. way out was way out. Cool. I don't know. I'm not going to go back and watch it unless somebody brings me a, like a link to way out. I want to guess it probably wasn't that good. Cause it only lasted like, you know, like 10 episodes or something. I don't know. But, um, anyway, so with this, it's like, um, I, I've been aware of Kolchak for quite a while. Um, you know, not, um, not the, 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 the El Goro, um, you know, withstanding, I've just been aware. It's like, it's always been like this precursor to procedural supernatural things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, is this good or not? But like the name is cool. I know that. Right. Like, but coming into this, like um, you mentioned like this grittiness and like, I would say, and I think, cause I know we've been taking these detours um, like not. Okay. So aside from black mirror and um, Ray Bradbury theater, we've been, we've been like, delving into a lot of 70s stuff right? right i think and i think asylum the, yeah right which i know you adored and like you sorry not adored, but you had a lot of fun with right asylum's yeah, a lot of fun. fun um i think there's something that there's this weird earnestness to it at the time where it's like granted yeah it's lower budget we know we're getting to camp and a little bit of schlock and a little bit of genre but everything's so straight-faced even with something like this, where we have a character that is very um, cynical and sarcastic, it's still treated very matter of fact, which I think is the benefit of the time it was made and also having Richard Matheson write it, you know, I, so, but there's something about that. There's, there's an earnestness and an honesty to it that really appeals to me that I don't know has always, I don't know if it's always come through in later films because sometimes there's there's some sometimes the films get a little bit more um wink wink nudge nudge and like sarc like sarcasm for sarcasm's sake like you can have a character that is um 
Like Kolchak, which I think part of the reason why I dig this, and we'll get into the story a little bit more here later, is that his character's not afraid to say, like, to say what he's thinking. And also because he's kind of rough and tumble around the edges and he's had previous successful highs, which we, we, which we think we know based upon all the different cities he's been fired from, you know, like there's something that's very, like, um, very much engaging with, uh, Carl Kolchak and, um, you know, with Darren McGavin that we immediately identify with. Right. And I think, I don't know if that same type of earnestness is always available in later, later cinema. Does that make sense? No, it makes complete sense. And I, I think this is a, a well-developed story. Uh, and like, and we'll get to like pretty much the, 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 the period to that statement yeah. uh, later, but like, I just, one of the notes I want to bring up here yes. too, is that this story wasn't, it was never actually published. So by the time that it was discovered, they immediately like the producers and all that uh they wanted to create this this movie just from like everything that they saw the script of like it wasn't even a script it was just some some story that uh our, our writer brought to the table and it's like so i just find that fascinating that just rice jeff rice made this story and it just immediately uh became this movie then into the series and all that stuff it's like Man, he was sitting on gold and he had no idea about it. Well, but I mean, maybe we, I I don't know about the story because it was unpublished and maybe it's out there now, right? Uh, But, but with like him. Yeah, because it was, it was like, what was it? The unpublished uh, novel title was the Kolchak Papers, which then eventually came into the Kolchak Tapes. Yeah. Which, I mean, uh, yeah, that's what we should say at the beginning of this is him playing back his own uh, recording, going through his notes. Which I mean, uh, just because I'd watched this in the last year, it felt very reminiscent of Chernobyl. Not the same thing at all, but like you know, like we have the main character listening to themselves tell the story as a framing device, and I thought that was perfect. Like, did you get the vibe that was kind of like this was a true crime podcast before that? Before that existed, did you no, kind of get that that vibe? No, no, that's perfect. That, that yeah. that's actually a perfect uh like a. Uh, idea of what this what we're coming into as a, a watcher at this yeah. point so so i i sorry i keep stepping on the, the toes of the story and i know we've been running a little bit longer here because there's a lot to dig in here but um yeah it's that's the framing device that we get him already listening to himself and kind of digging through his papers which i want to point out people uh when you're listening to the intro of the show that isn't us opening beers and flipping through papers that happens later like, yeah it's, <laughs> I, I don't know if there was isolated uh audio of that but yeah that wasn't uh doing all that i was yeah. actually thinking that the entire time i was like paul keep it down <laughs> <laughs> i have i have my uh, my manifesto i'm flipping through it i have names i'm going to name and i'm going to open open beers no no it's just like yeah no but it was like when i sat down to watch this i was like this is the perfect like you can't come up with a better intro for the like for us and this movie right and that there is an economy of the storytelling that you're like I'm in, right? It's like him, like, and I'm not always the biggest of fans of like telling the story after the fact. However, um, knowing the DNA of Darren McGavin, uh, and also, uh, what's his name that, um, the other gentleman that was in, um, uh, Ralph Meeker as uh, Bernie Jenks, both of them playing Mike hammer and, and like detective noir stuff. Mm. That felt very appropriate because like with noir and detective stories, you always have, 
you're you're um, on the same page with the detective, and you're, you're learning about how their perceptions and the world they know are getting shifted under their feet, and they they know other people are up to no good, but they can't trust people. And I feel like that's very appropriate for Kolchak. And the yeah. way he builds the story. So I was, I'm like, oh shit, this isn't a noir in the sense of like, this isn't like a descent into darkness, but it's a detective story. If as much as he's a reporter, it's a detective story. And yeah, I, I was and on like, board for that. And the, definitely the, the vibe that changes in most noirs too, is that this isn't set in a typical city either. Like this, all the events of this happen in Las Vegas. And that was our uh, Jeff Rice's main goal is that he wanted whatever events were going to actually happen with these characters to happen in Vegas. That was like his one of his strict policies for the storyline. It's like that's a very interesting place setting. Yeah, for well, it's interesting because events. like that that city comes alive at night, right? I mean, which we we get that, right? Mm-hmm. That's the obvious point, right? And a lot of noir <laughs> stories and detective stories are at nighttime, and it's like you know it's dreary out, but it's like. With this, it's like, yeah, that already plays into it because this is a city that functions at nighttime. So that's like, so I, I agree with you there. Like that's like, they're like, but we already have this, like this guy who is like this, um, like, oh, not disenfranchised, but like a guy who's been drummed out of a lot of bigger markets. Right. And the idea that we even meet him when his first voiceover is like, I was about to take a vacation. And, uh, my, my, uh, my manager who seems all he wants to do is yell at me, called me back in for a routine murder, like <laughs> Vincenzo, right? Like he's like, get out there and just go up, whatever he yells at him about, you know, but again, yeah. another one of the tropes that you see a lot in like the, the, like police, uh, the police films, you know, like Harry, uh, dirty Harry and everything like angry, um, you know, DA or DA or like a, like chief of police yes. like yelling at thing, his right? yeah. absurdian, you know, it's like, come on, man. But yeah, you so I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, it's the same thing. It, it's just like, this is a newspaper, but you could have easily made this like a police station, which I know we're going to get into the police in a second, but it's the same thing of like, yeah, I brought you in cause you're the best at what you do, but don't bring me bullshit. Kolchak or whatever he like it's just no. yeah it's just angry police chief but newspaper editor but it, like at the same point like the entire time as i'm watching this i was thinking of last action hero like, <laughs> <laughs> oh 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 shit who was it's that turning the trope yeah. right on its head yeah. like yeah, that it, was fun. Yeah, you're right. It's just like the whole yelling at things. It also made me think of um uh so I married an axe murderer where the police chief is actually just a really nice guy. It doesn't want to yell at anybody, but like, uh, what was it? The one guy's partner is like, just please just yell at me. Tell me I'm doing a bad job or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> not a great movie, but it's a good I, movie. I, I, I know you're not like, I don't think you're the biggest Mike Myers guy, but I love that movie. But anyway, so, uh, but yeah, it's a, like, this is like stereotypical police chief, but newspaper. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, continue. So yeah. So we get, we get the setup. We get the girl killed. And then we find out from, uh, you know, little passing around of information uh, that there are there was no blood found in her system because, like, it's a really interesting setup here. So we find the body uh, and then we see the doctors gathered over said dead girl while we still have the intro Credits. going on. Yeah. here. <laughs> very, that was kind of a very interesting, like, economy of storytelling. 
right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, there, there's a great way to do that, and I think this was an interesting way of doing that because it's like we got to get in and go. You know, like it's like well, let's set it up. We we need to get this all set up and then like get into the story. And yeah, that it's a perfect way of doing it. Yeah, and I also like that. Um, like there's this implied like um, I don't know, uh, voyeurism with, with the way you see like the scalpels Headshot. move around stuff. Like it's, it, yeah, that's that's interesting right you know so but we end up uh, i wrote my notes here nine minutes into this and we have three dead casino workers that have lost a lot of blood like it's like everything moves 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 and then i love it when a Kolchak's like oh all these women that are working at nighttime keep ending up without blood and then his editor's like i don't see a pattern like what are you an idiot like it just <laughs> so, some of his yeah. line delivery too like like the things that he's saying he's scripted um, I like when he walks into uh, the newspaper and he just says, good morning, slaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kolchak. Yeah, he knows. It's like, you know, it's like he know, he knows the game, right? I, I love his his outfit is great, too. Like everything about Darren McGavin, like you, if you were to cast like, I don't know, like it, it's like the, maybe this is where the, the charm of this series is, is like he is so magnetic and charismatic in this role. Um like if you were to do an update of this, I don't know who you would cast that almost kind of has that same type of like, like he's, he's an older, older actor at this point. Right. I mean, I know he gets, ends up like being older and like Christmas story and stuff, but it's like, I don't know who else, if you did an update of this, I don't know who you'd put in this role that would kind of have that same type of like, uh, don't give an F charm that he kind of has. It's perfect. Well, it's perfect. Well, in one note I'll bring here real quick, since we're already talking about him. Derek Gavin actually had some little say in the outfit that he was yes. going to wear for this too. Um, so Richard Matheson, uh, when he was doing the original script, he called for uh, the character to wear like a Bermuda sh- Bermuda shorts and uh, like a, a, like a like a Hawaiian shirt. And and uh, so Darren McGavin's like, I don't think this character would wear something like that. I don't necessarily think that would work for this role. And so he kind of made up the outfit to make it look more of like a 50s, 60s type. Yeah, because like, he read the script where he was like, he'd been fired from New York. He's like, this guy is like locked in the 50s as like, you know, this like, you know, he had his, his peak of power. His aesthetic is already decided. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to dress like this 50s reporter and I've never moved on. And that's kind of like, it's like one of those things you're like, it's a small detail, but it works so well. And like, I, 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 yeah, I thought it was great. He's a guy out of place, you know. In a sense, too. I love that Las Vegas it, is a small market, by the way, compared to like every place else. That he's been, which, like, looking at all the shots of Las Vegas and 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 knowing, like, you know, I've been there twice. Like, t- t- great. Like, I've been there and I've lost money and was stuck in a timeshare meeting or whatever. But like, seeing like it was one of my notes here is whenever we meet the first victim, I was like, nothing good happens like a, a, like off off of Fremont Street. <laughs> so when she went like a block off of Fremont street, got attacked by, you know, something I'm like, yeah, I've been to Fremont street. I'm sure I should not like, don't wander off of Fremont street. It doesn't matter. Don't do it. You're good. Don't do it. Nothing good will happen right. there. Yeah. And this is, you know, 1971, 72, mm-hmm. uh, Vegas. So that's the different time. Yeah. That's, that's the main strip. Right. So, um, yeah, but I love that we like, it's so fast how it's like, oh, this person died, this person died, this person died and, uh, how he's seeing things. And then we end up in like, what was it? A, uh, um, like 
oh, it's an aqueduct or something where there's the one body that like there's nothing there's nothing around it to imply that there was like uh, footsteps. Like right, so yeah. like there's like a patch that is probably about. 30 by 30 that is sand Mm -hmm. and it is the body is lying on that little portion of sand. So basically the way that this is already figured out quickly by Kolchak at least is that there's, there's no footprints. So how did the body end up there? And then the cops are like, yeah, but wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I like that. He, like, I like when he shows up. At first, the cops are kind of like, "Oh, you're here. I guess you're part of the investigation," which would never happen now. <laughs> Did you notice how Cold easy how easy the cops led him around until they were like, "No." Like later on, we're like, "We don't trust you." It's like he was always like, "I'm the press." Like, I guess you're going to come walk with us to the body. <laughs> like, it's gets it's weird times. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. But I like, like, he's like, is this guy super strong? Do you throw it? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, and someone's like, there's signs of struggle over by this car. And every time he asks a question, uh, was it Claude Aikens? Like, like he's an idiot. He's like, well, just shut up, Kolchak. <laughs> whatever he does. Like, I don't know. But it was one of those things. It's like cool sequence. Cause whenever they turn around, and look, the only thing they see is their footprints. And it doesn't make sense that yeah. what happened. I thought that was a cool moment. And the um, blood, yeah. there's no blood. Again. There's no blood. So the body is drained of blood. There's no blood on the sand. It's like, it, now it's getting really weird. So uh, things are escalating to a point where it's like, now we have two bodies with them. I think it's a, a day, a two days. Yeah. It's three bodies oh, in a couple days. And then like he ends up reaching out to his friend at the coroner's office. They call spy to get some details. Right. And, and the spy informs him like, oh, well, you know, um, all I could tell you is that, um, that a, uh, a hospital is broken into and they just stole blood. Like, I love that everybody's telling Kolchak the truth. And when he tells other people the things he's found out, no one believes him. And I love the balance of, of the audio of, uh, of, of like his tapes and what's actually occurring in those events and yeah. like kind of like how we're looking back on them. So there's like somewhat of a narrative that's going on during these different scenes. I think it's a really interesting blend. I mean, if you, if you take it for, he is. So, um, when I was in college years and years ago, um, before, while dinosaurs were walking the earth, I took a print journalism class and we learned, um, um, like there, there was a way to report stories, which was like, it was like, basically imagine like an inverted pyramid is what we would talk about it. Meaning, um, you always like front load your story with the most important information first. And then if you have time, get into like the lesser details. Um, the reason that occurred and to get a little bit of history lesson was that the inverted pyramid, it happened because of the civil war because of telegraph lines. So when reporters were reporting like things that were going on in the front lines, they always got the important information out first because they never knew when the lines would fail. So that's become like a reporting standard of like, tell your, tell your most important facts first and then fill in the details later if need be, if you can. So I feel right. like with Kolchak, he's always kind of doing this inverted pyramid of like, this is what I'm telling you. And then as time goes on, he's giving you context, but he's telling you the big stuff first because he's a seasoned reporter. Right. So I think the way that this, like, if, if you look at the way the tapes are, and the way this, this uh, script is and the way this, this uh, movie shot it's since it's him telling the story, he's controlling the narrative, but he's giving you the big swings first, right? I mean, there's the more lurid details later, but he's telling you up front the things that will make sense to him, right? I think I think that's a very effective way to tell a story. 
Yeah, definitely. And it especially works for this because it is kind of like a journal entry kind of idea here. Mm -hmm. Um, Because now we have a lapse in time. We have more bodies. The, you know, it's getting a little bit more weird each time. So it seems like almost every other shot we get is Carl's boss being pissed at him <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that um after he found out that the one uh, hospital got robbed of its blood supply um and then um what was he went to like the weird like press conference that was like this weird like tiny closed door meeting between like the powers that be <laughs> they're talking yeah. to him did, did you well, notice that was a, yeah go that ahead, was please. a really interesting scene too because not only the again does everybody know who kolchak is but like like you said, it's kind of more intimate. Um, we got some people in there that are professionals, doctors. Uh, you know, we have our DA, the mayor is there, and so there's a, a sharing of information. But then, kind of towards the end, there when we're walking out into the hallway, the mayor says, "Hey, man, I need to talk to you, Kolchak," and it, he basically tells him, "Like, you keep your nose clean," or. Uh, you're going to get snuffed out here somehow. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's good. But he's like saying with a smile on his face, but I want to point before, before we leave the room, I think the DA or someone was like, they're talking about like whoever was doing this because of like, because eventually we got to the fourth victim. Um, there was like a, there was a witness. Right. And, and like, there was also, Correct. so the whole thing is like somebody said, somebody in the room was like, he's high on pot or the hot, hard stuff, you know, pot or, that pot, that, that drug that we all know gives you super strength and motivation. Well, then it was the, <laughs> the other thing. Well, I, I like the, the, the idea that because there's an actual professional there uh, that knows what the hell he's talking about when it comes to yeah. blood, blood analysts. And like, he can, he can analyze the saliva of, of whatever did this because they said, also that it looks like that maybe a, a medium sized dog did the wound on the neck. So it's like, but there's saliva so we can analyze that. And they said, whoever this person is either has uh, anemia or a blood disease of some sort. And that's a very interesting thing to bring to the table because I don't think a lot of movies were smart at that point to bring that into like the narrative. Well, and that was kind of, I'll, I'll give that to Matheson because that was also one of his hooks in, um, I am legend. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Where Maybe, it was talking yeah. about like, um, how the vampirism was more of a, like an infectious disease, right. Versus like a supernatural force type of thing. Right. Um, which if people have not read that book, it's really good. It, it's, um, it's solid. I also love his, which we don't get into this movie so much about like the whole, like there was, he, he gets into, uh, how, uh, religious iconography doesn't affect all vampires. Cause if they believe a certain thing before they turned, that would be the thing that would weaken them. So hmm. I thought that was an interesting take where it's like, I'm going to show this cross and be like, well, I I'm Jewish of faith. I'm like, all right, here's a star, David, go away, you know, whatever, like, you know, like I love that. Like he actually really thought about like the practical nature of belief as a vampire, right? Like what that would be. And so he's still applying that with this. Like I thought that like it could be an actual disease, right? You could have, you could, it's morbid time, right? There could be some Morbius is running around here. We don't know. Um, <laughs> That's that's very clever. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if it's clever, but it's, it's but that's what they're talking about, right? The whole thing of like somebody is like physically drawn 
to do this because they're they, they feel like they're compelled to because of what's going like they have an affliction it's not a supernatural thing it's a biological thing which i think matheson is really good at doing that in terms of conveying it and I love the hand waving of these other asshats that just don't want to listen. Yeah, it was like, well, because drugs, right? Yeah, you pot know, or the hard plank. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, okay, cool. Like, I get it. Like, the the '60s transition led to a lot of weirdos, <laughs> you know, with acid and everything. Like, yeah. like I know, like, hey, the Manson family was still kind of a thing at that point. Well, so for I sure. Get it. Yeah, yeah. But so I like the idea that uh, when he goes back to his uh, editor, the shouty, the shouty man, Vincenzo, he's like, he's giving him a story because after the DA was like, keep this out of the, the, the public and then his, his, his editors, his man, sorry. He was like, what are you doing? He's like, you can't do this. He's like, well, look at the headline. He's like, uh, what was it? Um, like vampire sucking blood or whatever the headline was. He's like, we can't report this. And, um. Like the well, cool tracks, like, that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Like the mate, the mayor and his guys told him to put it under his hat. Don't say anything about it. So I'm sorry to say Carl was stupid. Carl he was stupid, like, but at the same time, it's like, he's like, not like beholden. People gotta know, he's not know, beholden like, to every, because we, we find out that eventually his goal here is to punch his ticket to get back to like the big markets. Yeah. Which fair enough. Like, like as a character, I'm not saying like, I like, I think Kolchak is a decent man. I'm not saying he's always the best man. You know what I mean? Like Kolchak's, um, always looking out for Kolchak. That doesn't mean that he's not heroic. People do heroic things for various reasons, you know, but, and just because he, he is um, ahead of the game in a lot of ways, his motivations are very selfish. He is a conflicted character. Which for sure. I, I love it. I the, give yeah. me something, you know, give me something complicated. Right. So, but I love that he was threatened for doing his job and his editor didn't want any vampire stuff in his reporting. And then he's eventually, he like, we even talk about like his, um, uh, odd relationship with, um, Oh, uh, what's her name? It is Carol Lindley as Gail Foster. Gail. Who, Gail. Yeah. She, uh, I guess she's a showgirl. I think that's what it is. It's, it's kind of, she's unseemly. Yeah, they never, yeah. they never show her in her actual job. Yeah. So like just that she works at night and she actually had known at least one of the victims, yes. like the first victim she is actually, she has something to say about her yeah. and her, uh, her tendencies. Like, like that, that's an interesting little buildup to all the rest of this, but I'm just going to say Carl has got something going on because <laughs> <laughs> you know, the dude has game, you know, like, he has yeah. the game because yeah. he has not been in the Vegas area that long. And she is a beautiful girl. Yes. Like, got game. Yeah. Sure. I also love that. We we're going to find out soon that he has a lot of connections, right? Cause he has the connections in the coroner's office. He has connections to switchboard. Um, I love that he found, he, it's like, his he, superpower, man. His superpower is connectivity. God. Cause also can like, let's, let's, it's not said in this, but you could only be assumed that in his bigger markets, they was in like, uh, New York and Chicago and like wherever else that he understood Boston. like in Boston, uh, how to network. And if that was a more sophisticated area because it was more densely populated and there was a big, like a different hierarchy, then Vegas mm. is like, he's like, I, I already know this. Like I, I can figure this out. Right. So, but with her, I just want to point out that like, um, while he's talking about everything, I, I have my notes here, Kolchak, the night snuggler. I want to, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like he, he, he really does know how to smooth 
like it, we even get like a moment here where he's trying to get information from uh i guess she works for 911 i don't know the, well the so cops. so with the fourth victim right so that was when the killer was seen um cuz it was uh what was it when they're like um they're attacking a woman and and uh the person that was being talked to was the mother if i remember right like mm-hmm. that was the whole thing. And then like, so then when he was talking to a switchboard operator, so it wasn't nine one one, but it was someone working in like a major government building. Like, okay. Get, Cause he, when he brings out some chocolates, chocolates. Yeah. It's like, it's almost similar to, um, Oh, you've not seen the movie strange brew. There's a bit where they, they bribe a woman with a donut. It's almost the same thing where it's like, Oh, Look, it's jelly, and she tells all the information. It's all because it was like it's like the, it's one of those chocolates, like those boxes that you get, like a, like a drug mart that is like full of like you don't know the roadmap for which chocolates are good and which are not. You know what I'm talking well, about? You it, open the box. I mean, like, life is like a box. Of yeah, chocolate, yeah, yeah. But you know, you open it up, you're like, oh, this one's good. It has nougat, and this one's like that weird cherry flavor that no one ever liked. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> And then you throw the whole box away because you don't want to be surprised yeah, again. You're like, oh gosh, this is this tastes like soap. I don't want it, you know. But anyway, but I love the idea that he's bribing her, and then she's like, he's like, I could take it away. And she's like, you're the devil, or whatever she says yeah, to him. He's like, cold shirt. No. Yeah, but I love. He's like, hey, you delicious morsel. Like whatever he says to her, and woos her to get like information about a car that our killer is running around in. But I also, at the same time, he looks at like Jinx is there too, right? His, uh, I think he's part of the FBI or something like he's not part of the main police force, but it's like it, you, you get the idea. It's a communication center. Well, he's the, yeah. he, well, he's the captain, I believe. Right? Oh, okay. So. Yeah. But either way, like, um, Kolchak had, he is able to smooth schmooze and get like connections. Uh, yeah. He know he knows how to work the system, right? Like, and that's very admirable in the sense of like, I'm just a reporter. I just need a scoop. Tell me what I need to know. I'm going to, I'm going to grease the wheels. Right. Like, like I, I like that a lot. It gives, it gives you these little peppering of his, his character. And I thought that sequence with the switchboard operator was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that was a, there was a fun exchange there because, uh, they just kept it light. And, uh, because I mean, everything else that's going on right now is dark. Yeah. So we got the murders. We see the victims. We're trying to figure out uh, what's going on, and like, there's a lot of yelling. So like, this little exchange here is a little breath of fresh air. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody's finally being nice, sort of. Yeah. To Kolchak, <laughs> but Kolchak is still the one that I don't know if anybody wants to trust because he is the big city guy. He's the guy who's bringing in this attitude from all these different cities that no one wants to like pay attention to like, Oh, here's the guy from Chicago. Here's the guy from New York. He's a big city reporter and he doesn't want to listen to people. Also, it's like, they're afraid of him because like, he's not going to toe the line. So I think there's, I think that's the big deal. But then we get the bit where, what was it? Um, was it the fifth victim? We find, we find our killer finally like stalking a woman going to her car and we see his bloodshot eyes and it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good contact effect, right? That they give him like these crazy mm. eyes. And then she opens the door and a Doberman uh, runs out of the car and attacks him. So I have my notes here and you and maybe a handful of people appreciate my note that Dracula killed a Zoltan is what I wrote in my notes here. Um, but yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Richard. Uh, <laughs> <appreciates it. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but it's like that Richard happened. Friend of show, yeah, and sometimes yeah. co-host in the sense. Yeah, but then like after that happened, like she was taken and missing, and then Coltrack's like, I think there's a fifth victim. But then eventually, what was it? Um, he gets he gets a notion that he gets a call that there was um uh, a another break in at a hospital, somebody stealing blood, and we get our our vampire guy just like, I love that the nurse walks in and he's just like, Ooh, look at this. Like what's going on here. What is this? Sunny D purple. Oh, blood, blood. I need this blood versus this purple stuff. And the fight that he just takes like out of the, the that room is funny. Like it's so, it's so great. Right. Cause he's throwing people out of windows and shit. And then whenever uh Kolchak shows up, uh, and that's when the police show up too. I gotta tell you, um, that escalated quickly. That whole fight yeah. sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and there's very, there are very simple shots that are taken of this. It's not like your your everyday like action flick, where you have multiple shots of like pow, bam, boom. Like this is shot from afar from different uh, angles, and it, it I feel like it's more effective that way and more hilarious at the same point too, dude. One dude gets thrown out a window, and it is awesome. Like, it is a very practical effect, and I, I love this scene. This this is, like, one of the scenes I'm like, I like this film a lot. <laughs> I'm definitely going to revisit it. <laughs> yeah. No, um, yeah, I just, I, um, um, I may have made a gif that I'm hoping to um, uh, post every time I try to share it to like private chats. It tells me it's too big, but I think I could put it on Facebook of our vampire man running out. It's just the way that just the way that the cops all react because the way they're all shooting their guns that um, they're towards each other. And then the cop cars crashing and him running away is one of the greatest things I've seen in forever. I love this it is so like much. The term the like uh the terminator like <laughs> whoever yeah. like what I, I i completely forget it was it it wasn't Cameron. Cameron did the first terminator yes. right yes Cameron took notes from this like swear to god <laughs> he's like what if i had a vampire break into a place that he shouldn't be and yeah. just whoops everybody's ass and like <laughs> it's it's that you'll come out with this. Like, yeah. I, I also like that afterwards they had a big, like there was a bigger press briefing. So there's more people in the room and then they're describing all the things that are going on and the history of this person that they, they identify a suspect. And I'm like, lot here's my notes. Law enforcement States. They have a suspect that sounds a lot like a vampire. They just don't want to admit it. They're like, this guy is like 70 plus years old. Every time we find out where he's that, like his history of things, he's always been around a lot of violence and bodies and blood. And he's doing this fall. He has like false names or whatever. It's like, and then Kolchak's like, it sounds like a vampire. And they're like, shut your mouth, Kolchak. (laughs) (laughs) If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a vampire, you know, like just admit it. Like, but they don't want to admit that like they're failing as a, uh, a law enforcement, right? So I thought it was whole funny. It's like he's the one guy. It's like, and also we got to mention too that um, uh, oh, I keep forgetting her name. I apologize. Gail, the character mm-hmm. of Gail, is the he one that actually to, uh, the, culture. Yeah, yeah, and she's like, here, read these, read these vampire books, and and it's like it's it's a small, it's a really short sequence, but it feels like he at least is getting like as much as he's being dismissive the more he's reading of what's going on he's starting to be like oh shit this is all making sense you know because at first he's like this is a guy that thinks he's a vampire and he's eventually won over to the idea of like no this guy's a vampire 
right? And nobody else wants to admit it. And so when we see this, like after the initial police confrontation of this guy, just running away, getting shot like 40 times and everything. And the police are like, ah, whatever he's high on the dope or whatever they say. I don't know. Like I thought that was, um, I thought that was interesting that he was the one to come around first and the police don't want to admit it. You know, I thought that was, uh, like that, like, you know, this is of its time when we watch this movie, but that's a very modern idea of like someone's bringing the reality to a, uh, agency and they don't want to admit it. Cause if they, if they admit it, that it means that it means that they're admitting their own weakness and fallacy. I thought that was and interesting. That, and that's actually like a really good way to look at like how things were handled around this period of time. If anybody wants to watch a really good movie about how somebody who wants to take information that they're collecting on their own right and giving it to the cops because the cops are not communicating with each other, watch Zodiac. Yes. The David Fincher film. Mm -hmm. This is a good representation of how really how it was going back in the day. Cops did not communicate with each other. Departments wanted to handle shit within the department. They didn't want to. Well, play they also games. thought they were being smarter than right. Like, how could this person right. that has that doesn't that doesn't us actually know what's going on? Like, like bullshit, right? Like, it's just so. Yeah, I think that absolutely. They want to play yeah. fair and all that bullshit. Like, this is actually a pretty decent representation of it because Kolchak really is the guy who's doing doing all the legwork and doing his due diligence while the cops are like, I don't know what. Well, we don't have enough manpower. You know, it's like. Yeah, it's like, look at today too. It's still happening, you know, like, (laughs) well, no, because the powers that be want to believe that they're, that they are the end all be all and that this can't possibly be happening because they have it under control. Right. Yeah. And they're making all the right decisions. So when somebody comes to the forefront and being like, Hey dude, I have all the notes right now. Here's all you have to do is catch a guy. Then it'd be like, well, it's not legitimate information because it wasn't handled by our process. It's like, uh, what? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> w- throw a dart at any Romero movie, right? That, that's yeah. like, it's always like the, the, the powers that be don't want to listen to reality because they're super confident in their ability, which I guess I would throw that at land of the dead as being the big one where it's like, you know, like, don't, don't do it. Like we're, we're under control. We're, you or, know, you, or the crazies, really the crazies. Yeah. I mean, as much as that film's flawed, but yeah, I agree with that completely. Or the government's like, we got it under control. Right. Like I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, so like, I like it. The police are like, no, no, we, this isn't a vampire. But then, but then later on after they, they, they find like, uh, after Kolchak actually starts like, um, like figuring out like things and they eventually like figure out the make of car, which I love the idea that they interview the car salesman, which is like, he is wearing like the most ridiculous cowboy outfit or whatever you saw wherever. Like, yeah. The, the, the Stetson and yeah, like it was the so Polo. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, Oh, I was going to sell this car, to this guy, but for this price. And he's like, but he kept telling me to go lower. And he's like, I was just like, you know what? I felt that, that guy was kind of dangerous. So I, you know, I, I, I kowtowed to him and it's like, okay, so we know he has a car and then eventually they find the car, but there's that big like chase in the middle of the night where they're trying to figure out where his house is. And then it becomes a vampire pool party there, um, where they chase him into the pool. Um, I thought that sequence was great too, because like they, they make the vampire guy, they throw him into the, the pool and it's like, 
yeah, he's super strong, but it's like take away his leverage and he's probably very approach. Like you could capture him. Oh, let's, 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 um, let's put him back up on land. Nope. I'm out. And he just runs away again and jumps over the fence. You're like, yeah, that was a good idea. Thanks police. Uh I was really hoping for a shark coming to the scene and <laughs> to <laughs> or, fight him or as a, well. Or a large alligator hiding. Um, but like, don't, yeah. worry the, don't worry, I got this, guys. <laughs> I have the authority. Yeah. Yeah. So then after he escapes again, then, uh, then, um, what was we, Kolchak starts doing some more sniffing around and like talking to the one guy he knows who was like a real estate person in the area. He, so he's trying to track down the house, which makes sense. And uh, then eventually he goes to um, the police and he was like, Hey, everybody, you're doing this wrong. And he brings this bag in. I love it where he's like, you guys like, listen to me and I will, I will solve this for you. And he makes like this devil's bargain, right? Where like he talks to everybody, the powers that be, he's like, like, uh, if I'm right, you give me exclusive story rights. So I'm like, sure. But if you're wrong, you got to get out of town in 12 hours. He's like, I'll take that bet. But I love that he brings his bag up. He's like, you need to equip all the police with this. He brings out a cross and then a mallet and a steak. And I love it. The one guy's like, where'd you get that steak from? It's like, it's a piece of wood. He could have made it on his own. But I love, he's like, I, like, I know a furniture repair guy. I'm like, or you could just make a steak. Well, yeah, I, yeah. well, and honestly, I think if anybody was going to ask questions about where they got certain supplies, that cross is baller, dude. <laughs> that looks like something that it's like, pretty massive for what it is. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big cross. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I would see like some SoundCloud rapper wearing that. <laughs> like, that thing is awesome. dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also later on when we, it's used to catch the light, it's really cool. Right. But I love the idea. Like, like if the idea of, let me, okay. If the idea of a cross is supposed to put a vampire in its place, does the relative size equal the amount of power of a cross? I don't believe so because it's all in how it's implied. Okay. This is God's Could you have made a much more, much more travel worthy version of that cross? (laughs) 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 yeah i know it's pretty big right it's like like we could have a transformer cross like (laughs) like, it's a watch now it's a cross i don't know (laughs) i mean optimus prime did die for our sins so i understand but uh uh but i like the idea it's like these things are bigger than a handgun but it's like you gotta equip everybody with this it's like i i wanted to see a segment of all these cops running around with like crosses put in their gun holsters Versus like guns, but, but I love, he pulls out this cross and he pulls out that big mallet and steak. And I love the idea. It's like, where'd you get that steak from? I'm like, it's wood. You could just make wood pointy. Like it's not that hard to make yeah. pointy wood, you know, pretty sure cavemen have figured it out. But I thought that was funny. That the one guy's like, how'd you do this? He's like, I have a furniture repair guy. I know I'm like, or I just grabbed wood and that sounds terrible. I grabbed wood and just made it pointy. Um, Yeah. I, I literally would have looked at what I had in my hand and been like, is that really what you're concerned about right now? Like yeah. we're talking about vampires right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the, 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 they're, they're look they're not looking at the forest for the trees or whatever the statement is. Right. It's like, like I'm telling you, there's a goddamn Dracula running around here and you're like, <laughs> Oh, and I like the idea that it's like, Oh, but like if there's somebody's going to like hammer a stake in their heart, it's like, it's pre pre meditated murder. It's like, Cops, really? You're going to talk about premeditated murder? <laughs> like, you know, like, like we just saw cops open fire multiple times repeatedly against the guy. It's like, what? Okay, great. So, shooting a gun is an act of self defense. 
taking a hammer and a stake is premeditated murder. All right. Well, I, okay. I don't know the legal grounds for both of those things, well, but whatever. Honestly, I think that's one of the most grounded statements in re- reality that is made in this film because we have the cops saying, if you have the weapons and you are deciding to use this against somebody, that is premeditated murder. But he is a vampire, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like how do you, how, how do you blend the two? Uh, you that's know, fair. Like no. two things, you know. <laughs> so, so that, like, I like that at least they bring that into the conversation. I think I think that's interesting. But then. Uh, so then, um, what was it? His, uh, real estate guy pays off and he gets like the, the call to go to a house. Who was falling asleep in the car. car. Yeah. I love it. He's like, <laughs> I went here for you. And then I just <laughs> fell asleep. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? I no, like, I was really vampire? credit to the movie. I was expecting to have the vampire be like, I've seen you. I'm here now to like, hold you right. hostage. Right. Uh, but, but then we get Kolchak going to the house, which is not dissimilar to him, like to Salem's lot going to the house, which I know yes. that came later. Right. But it's not dissimilar. It did. And I love the it idea that in. he was like, I'm going to go here first. Cause it's still nighttime. Meaning like, I'm assuming that this vampire is out and about. Right. And cause like that's that's a fair statement because why like if you only can operate at the nighttime then you're going to go out and do your business while like uh, he's looking around and I will say that that sequence of him like uh, Kolchak poking around the house is actually really effective because one um, as much as the music here is very seventies with like tr- like trumpets and kind of kind of discoy and kind of like whatever whatever it is the music I love the music um, they do a good job of like like not putting music in every scene and letting like the silence Breathe, build tension. Yeah. Mm. And I think like, I think that's forgotten sometimes. Right. But whenever Kolchak's going into the kitchen and opening the fridge and being like, Oh shit, there's a bunch of blood in here. Uh, like a bunch of blood in large bottles. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'm going to take a photo of that. And then he goes and like, like he's like digging around and poke. Like also I like that the moment that this Dracula uh, moved into this house that it automatically is full of cobwebs. Like, I don't know why that's aesthetic, but whatever. Um, but I like that he, like, there's a, there's a real tension in the sequence, especially when you think about it being a made for TV movie. Like, can you imagine being back in that time? I know there's like the commercials and stuff, but people being drawn to this and like not being spoon fed, you know what I mean? Like, like this film must've felt very grown up and smart first time which it is don't get me wrong but for a made for tv movie airing on a tuesday night like people must have been on the edge of their seat with the sequence and i adore it yeah and it, i mean that's the perfect way to put it like i i think that at least in my household it would have been played out that way like it was very suspenseful and our tvs are different now um i think this probably would have played a little bit better on televisions back in the day it, it seems a little dark for me, but like the way that you build the suspense and the way you build this atmosphere, they did a really, really good job. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, it, it is a drawn out scene, but like this is the climax, the climax of our film. Well, considering mm-hmm. that your runtime is an hour and 14, this is where you spend the most time in an individual scene and it works really, really well. It's all the buildup. We built up to the scene, like all the conversations all the research it's happening now mm-hmm. we have 
And especially after that pool seed, like, dude, how do we get any more like crazy than that? So this is this is showdown now. So the showdown is we have Kolchak. He's in the house. He's researching around. He finds a fridge which has a lot of blood. I just need to point that out too. There is a lot of blood in there, dude. So like, dude has been just kind of. I mean, it, it's it's a lot of blood. I mean, I don't. In a way. I don't have as much blood in my fridge. That's a lot of blood in that fridge. I'll just say that you know. Fair enough. I mean, I I mean, I've been trying to stock up because winter is coming. <laughs> you so. never know. You're like, listen, <laughs> I need toilet paper. Um, I need blood, <laughs> you know, like, like you don't know what's coming in 2023, right? Sometimes you just got to stock up on blood. Yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he does his research throughout the house. He's looking around. He goes up the, the, the scattered garbage stairway. That is th- this house. Like, I, I know what you're saying. Like most houses are moved to sell. Uh, I, if, if he moved in, he's also like living in, with consuming a lot of weed as well, because he's throwing garbage all over the house. Yeah. It's a hoarder's nightmare is what it is. It's just so yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes up to the second floor where he finds the missing girl, like the fifth girl who has not been identified as like a dead body. Cause you know, we have the four bodies that have been found, but we didn't necessarily talk about the timeline here there was a fifth girl that was missing and there is like very similar things to think that maybe she is a victim as well, but they just hadn't found about mm-hmm. the body yet. So Kolchak finds her and she's strapped to a bed and she has an IV that's feeding into her, but she also looks emaciated and she's very gaunt, like very pale. So she's being feed it on so there's an interesting idea that's going on here so not only do we have this guy feeding on women and but he's stealing blood but he then he's also wanting warm blood to be the subs like like he wants that to be a feeding source as well so he has this woman that he's putting blood into but then feeding off her as well like that's a really interesting idea that i haven't seen in very many films. No, that's fair. So I would say the, that he doesn't seem to care what blood he takes. So um, we don't know her blood type. Like, he, I guess he's been lucky so far to like not put the wrong one and kill her. <laughs> like, you that's know. Very, yeah, like that's the thing that maybe they could have done a little bit more research on. And I thought that as well, because like maybe if she was type O negative, then that would be in like the the easy one to give her. Yeah. Cause then she could have taken everything. You're right. But, um, like, but I also think that with the notion we talked about, like they mentioned earlier that if somebody has been bitten, that they will rise as a vampire, that maybe mm-hmm. she's mid transition. So it doesn't matter what's pumped. So in he her. just wants a cow. Now he, he wants a microwave is what he wants. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like he just wants, uh, he wants, he wants a crock pot, uh, you know, like, um, so like, if that's the case, it's like, then that makes sense too. Like we're, 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 we're looking at this, you know, like, you know, 40 plus years later. Right. Like, but, um, but it's like the idea it's like, you know, that if she's already this far along, I guess it doesn't really matter what blood's put into her. But that was my first thought. I'm like, if she's still somewhat alive, then this is dangerous. But you know, it's also a vampire living in a uh, hoarder house. So what do I know? 
Um, and, and maybe they even implied that his, uh, what was it? Um, his wartime, uh, experiments as being a surgeon, maybe he knows something we don't know. I don't know. He's also a vampire, but that's, that's, that's a really interesting. I, I like the tease of the idea. I agree with you. It's very compelling. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unfold here, guys. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening and you're still listening, I, I know this is running a little long. This is a very, very like deep storyline and it's obviously going to get more deep because of like, this is something that the character kind of builds and builds and builds into uh, his own storyline for a series and that. So hold on. We're almost done. <laughs> yeah. Well, well like uh, credit, credit to us. Um, we we're still a little under the actual runtime. Well, actually no past the runtime now. So forgive us. But yeah, so we have Kolchak actually interacting with the vampire. Uh, he has a cross in hand and, you know, he's trying to get out because he was trying to save the woman first too, but that didn't quite, there's a very tense moment, right? I thought that a lot was of, a lot of hissing, a lot yeah. of growling, but I also like when he took the tape off her mouth and tried to apply it. He's like, it's not sticking. I'm like, you know what, Richard Matheson credit to you that you understand once tape is taken off. It's never sticking again. Like that's the most realistic part, part of this where it's like, Oh shit. But anyway, no, but like, so he gets like, so Coltrack gets found out. He has a cross. And as he's trying to like, you know, get out, um, he ends up falling down the stairs because of all the shit that's there too. And it becomes like, um, like a showdown. He's getting tossed around. The vampire guy is about to, to get him. Jinx, uh, shows up. And, um, I like that. Um, like it, it, it's a trope, but I dig it that they start taking um, like uh, like coverings down and exposing the sunlight, right? And the, I thought the, that the first yeah. the first uh, the first time I had ever seen anything like that was Fright Night. Yeah. So like, kind of cornering the vampire so he can't like get back to you, and so now you have him for your own advantage. That was the first time I saw something like that. So. Obviously, this predated that by 13 years. Something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I like that they keep like forcing him and then eventually go upstairs and there's that big uh, stained glass window. And oh, uh, did, did they break that open? I think they broke it open, right? No, they didn't break it open, but they, they uh, had him on the stairs. Was and, yeah. yeah. And that's whenever uh, Kolchak uh, brings out the, you know, the hammer and the stake and goes after uh, the vampire. And then, they, of course, they do. Uh, as always, the police show up late. Mm-hmm. And they catch Kolchak murdering a man. <laughs> well, I mean, even what they were talking about, too, it's not necessarily that the daylight can kill them. It's it weakens them. Mm-hmm. So, like, here there's this weakened person now, and there's a guy driving a stake into his heart. So what is the thing that's going to come up next? Our conclusion. Yes. So, so we have uh, we have Kolchak, and he's working away in uh, I believe it's his girlfriend's apartment at this point, Gail's apartment. It's somewhere in Vegas, and there's a like a beautiful like uh, like pool, pool area, area. Yeah, like oh. which I mean if like if, if anybody's been out to Vegas, like every if you get a like everything has a beautiful pool. There's a, like it's it is a wonderful like it's a nice place to visit. I don't want to live there. I have friends that live there, but you know, like it's always like, Oh yeah, there's a pool here. It's the desert. It's beautiful outside. And I love, I love that he's typing away. And by the way, I, I need to mention that his uh typewriter case has his name and tape on it, which I love by the way, 
Because yeah, tape can't be removed, I but guess. I, but it just feels like the most hobo thing ever, right? <laughs> it's like, this is my typewriter, you know? Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the hobo life, yeah, that would probably be the way you would do it. But now you would actually put, like, a, like a permanent marker stamp on something. <laughs> or a label Not maker. Tape. You know, let's get a label maker. It's fine. No. But yeah, but we got, he's, he's high on life. Cause he's got, he got the exclusive rights to the story. Uh, and he's like finishing it up and he's talking to uh, Gail and he's like, we should get married. And he is like stoked. Cause he's like, I'm back on top. I'm going to go to New York again. This is the way out because I have actually cracked the story and it's it's going it's going to get me back where I need to go, right? The whole like he is he is living his best life, rightfully so, because he just killed a goddamn Dracula, right? And was right about it. And that kind of builds off the idea that like he wasn't really digging his job in Vegas. So like like when we first see Kolchak and how he interacts with his uh, you know like editor chief or whatever. He gets the job and he's like, oh, really? This another like another murder? Like what? Like <laughs> murder is not really the, the top story in Vegas. I, I don't know what is then. So. But like, yeah. so we get we get Kolchak and he goes and he takes his story to his editor, his boss, and he throws it on the table. And he's like, here you go, my man. He's like, uh, here's for your front page story. And he says, okay, thanks. And he's like, all right, you're going to print that with pictures? Yep, totally going to do it. And he gets all this weird respect. Yeah, like the one time Vincenzo is like, oh, yeah, you're a good reporter, and I really appreciate this. Kolchak should have been like, what is going on? Like, you're not yelling at him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the reverse of character. Like, here we get this, like, this guy who's so like subdued and like respectful and it just doesn't make any sense. And it's like, but Kolchak can read it too. Like he sees that because he's an observant guy. I mean, he's a, he's a photographer. He's a, a guy who's writing a story all the time. He sees something wrong here. And he's like, okay, like something wrong here. He's like, nah, just want to let you know, you got to go down to the DA. They were calling for you to come down there. And uh, last note, you're you're a great journal- journalist. Like that, that was so weird <laughs> to Kolchak that he's like, huh? He's like, thanks. thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, but like you could see this like glimmer in his eye. Like maybe I did right this time. Mm-hmm. Don't know. But so I like the, that I, yeah, I like that he's whistling going into the DA's office. He's like, you know, I'm good. I also like the idea. It's like. Like it's only been like seven or eight hours since he stabbed a guy in a heart and he's just whistling. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, we don't understand trauma the same way. We, we, we don't, we don't process trauma the same way that we thought we did back then. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but like the, 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 the police and everybody in the DA is like, Oh, um, you, um, murdered a man. And we, we came in and saw you like this guy didn't get arrested. He didn't get charged. You just murdered him. Like this is manslaughter. You're going to go to prison forever. And he's like, this is bullshit. He's like, come on, you know the truth. And they're like, well, here's your story that we're going to run. Um, and then the story is basically saying, um, we showed up and we took care of this guy and we're getting the credit and, um, and you're not. 
And if you don't accept the deal, you're like, we're going to take this warrant and, and we're, you're going to go away forever, or you're going to listen to us and we're going to ask you to leave town. And we also asked your, uh, you know, your undesirable girlfriend to get out of town too. Yet 12 hours. Like it's like, this is, this is the sledgehammer of this to me. This feels, this doesn't, <laughs> this feels the most modern of the story points. Right. I wasn't see, I didn't expect this. No, I, neither did I. And I, it really did feel like not only did the cops do what they already planned to do, which was eliminate what the real truth was to protect the innocent quote unquote, but make sure that the media doesn't put the knowledge out there to the, the people like, so it's like, it was a twofer, you know? Yeah. And it's like, actually, it's like a three for in a sense, because now they get uh, Kolchak out of town because they don't like Kolchak because he's the guy who wants to really tell the truth and like suss out what's really going on. And I just want to find out, like, that is the expanded universe again. Like, I'm like, I know Kolchak can probably be viewed as kind of a douche uh, character, but I think he also is the one that's like. I know more than everybody else in the room. Mm-hmm. And he well, was right. Cause he actually read the facts, right. And actually followed the story. And so, but yeah, he was given a bum deal and it's like, he finally, he thought he got his victory, had to head out. And then, um, so the end of this is that one, um, he lost track of his girlfriend, um, slash fiance and put a, like yeah. a bunch of, like, you know, um, ads in the papers looking for her. And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to ever see her again. It's like, I'd also say that feels like that betrays you like as a character where it's like, I don't know. I want to feel like you have a bee in your bonnet and you're going to put feelers out forever because you feel slighted. That feels like Kolchak, the character to me. However, um, he's on his way out. He actually finishes manuscript and you know, like when he listens to everything, he's just like, ha ha. I was right. But it's like, also we find out that like all the murdered victims have been burned. Um, the, like the, the killer was burned. Like it's this whole thing. It's like, nobody will comment about it on the record, but he was right. And, and now some people are dying too, that yeah. actually knew the true story. So like, yeah, who knows the true story? And like, he didn't name names. So like his buddy who was Intel, the doctor that was Intel, mm-hmm. like the, that guy that gets hairy. Like, this actually could really be something. Like, I didn't watch the 2005 series. I'm actually interested in watching it now. Well, okay. So, it, it when we find out, like, when we learn that, um, I don't know if you have notes about the rest of this, this uh, made for TV movie. I like, I don't, like, other than the trivia of, like, the success of it, you know, like, which we can talk about in a second, which would spawned, well, we already talked about it, but we can talk about it a little bit more. Uh, I mean, we've been gone for a while, so okay. like, I, I think I, I don't really want to bring much more up. Okay. No, but like the success of this and then the success of the night strangler, which came the year after, uh, spawned a TV series called Kolchak, the night stalker that, you know, didn't do great because I guess the, the, the series leaned more into comedy and camp and then it just kind of got canceled. Um, mm. when you talk about this reboot, like, with this, you can see the bones of the X-Files, which we talked about already, right? Like 
this is the monster of the week, but this is a procedural. They, there was a lot of different procedural like cop shows and there still are right. Like um, you can see how there might've been an appetite for this. And also with this being uh, produced by Dan Curtis, who did dark shadows, which we've talked about previously, how like there was a niche audience for like, give me a soap opera that's full of vampires and ghosts. I'm in, give me a guy that will not leave well enough alone and ask questions. And he like keeps poking at the supernatural. Like you could tell the audience was becoming more sophisticated and more aware and they had different needs, but they also still wanted to kind of have these genre blends. And this makes me excited. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you were like chomping at the bit to get to this. This was a lot of fun. Like I know, um, I know the El Goro has been a champion of this for a bit. I'm, I, I don't doubt his taste at all. It's just, it's one of those things that like, have you had people that have been trying to get you to watch a thing that it's like, you know, you'll like it, but it's also like, uh, sometimes it's like, well, I'll get to it. And then when you finally get to it, you're like, holy shit, that was great. I should have got to it earlier. That's how I feel about this. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, you obviously have been a, a champion of a lot of things. And like, when I finally get to something, I'm like, well, why didn't I listen to my best friend here? So it's like, dude, seriously, there are a lot of things that are waiting for us. Mm-hmm to discuss and thank you El Goro for bringing something to the table. Um, this is the thing that we talk about every week. If like somebody wants to bring something to this discussion, we could put it on pause. Uh, I mean, I know that we typically do the twilight zone, but here we are, we're talking about this. It was a great conversation and we'll get back to the twilight zone. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like when it works, it works. Yeah. So no, I, I thought this was great. So, so yeah, this was actually like the most watched television movie at the time, which they like, clearly went on to do the second movie and then the series. So it was a big deal. Yeah. It really broke deal. things, man. Yeah. <laughs> it like, went viral. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was like with a, a three point or was a 33.2 rating and a 54 share i don't know what that means well, the, but 30, yeah, like, the rating means that there was only like three channels at the time so it did well for a made for tv movie my god you know like you know that was a spectacle back then right so can't like, do that now no yeah no shit right so um the only thing the only thing i equate this to is like um streaming right if somebody releases like an actual like like thing right so i think that's the only way i could think about it is like it's destination television which for them that people actually had to like, um, like pick a night, but well, not pick a night, but like schedule, like, Oh, the, the night stalkers on, we all got to sit down and watch it. Can you like, do you remember growing up? Like, I'm not going to drag this out too much where it's like, you had to pick the time to watch the thing you wanted to watch. Cause I don't think people remember how important it was. If you didn't watch the thing when it aired, it may never come back. I, yeah, definitely. I definitely know that. Uh, the original watching of it. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Or like V like it was one of those things. I'm like, it was destination watching. Right. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, I, this was a lot of fun. And I like, again, the link we put it on the Facebook page, it was the Kino Lorber rip. Uh, like they did this wonderful restoration. It looks gorgeous. It, it has no right looking as good as it does for a made for TV movie. Like it is, it looks so good. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, Darren McGavin has, uh, you know, uh, character and charisma, like just, just, uh, and droves. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I like this a great deal. So, um, I just, I don't know how we're going to rate the twist, but we should probably get to the twist rating. Anything else? No, I, I, I we, we kind of need to stop. <laughs> and I, I know, I know. I, also, I, I want to briefly mention that the, the vampire makeup, um, uh, the director thought it was like, thought it was funny that like they had him walk around for 40 minutes at casino. And Mario was so obsessed with like gambling that nobody that noticed. Too, I thought that was funny. <laughs> like you got this guy with these so red eyes, on- disheveled and no one noticed. <laughs> like <laughs> I thought that was great trivia. So yeah, uh, let's just rate that twist. All right. Twist rating means one through five, one meaning we saw it from coming from a mile away and five meaning mind blowing. Um, I I'm going to give my twist is that um, I'm going to give it a four that Kolchak was right, but was still Boudreaux's ass out of town. I'm going to give it all a five. Okay. I had no, I had no idea what the storyline was about because this was something again, with it being so highly recommended, I didn't do any research. So I didn't know what the characters were built on or what the storyline was about. Uh, so vampires, I had no idea. Um, dude, it like it floored me the entire time. Nice, good. That, that's. I'm hoping that people are listening, watched it before we like we ruined it all. But I will say that I I kind of knew the the premise of this, and then when I started like poking around and realizing that I said the wrong name of the wrong movie, one of the the, the things I saw for the Night Strangler was after the events and the fallout of the first film, uh, Kolchak ends up in Seattle. So I was just like, oh shit, the shoes were to drop. I didn't know how though. Like, <laughs> so I ruined it for me. That's why I'm giving it a four. Nothing against the production but I already kind of knew something else was going to happen. But yeah, this was a lot of goddamn fun. People, it, like, I hope you've watched it. If not, we're not, watch it. It's like, it's an hour and 14 minutes. Like, dear Lord. It's still worth the watch. Oh, it's so much point. fun. Like, and again, the link we put on the Facebook page, it's just, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. And like, it's, it's a really, really wonderful version of like restoration of this film. Well, not restoration, but like, you know, presentation is probably the right word. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, check it out. Check out, uh, the night stalker, uh, a lot of fun. Um, before we talk about what we're doing next, uh, you guys can find us on Facebook where I posted the Mia culpa and you can find the link to this show. Um, you guys can follow us on strange highways on Facebook. You guys can email us directly at strange highways, podcast, gmail.com, wherever you find your podcast rate and review us to be greatly appreciated. And Terry, where, pe- where can people find us? Otherwise we're on Instagram folks. Uh, we're still waiting for you to come and hang out with us. Uh, <laughs> both of them, you know, like, I mean, I don't know how many people are on there. Like, like social media is such a weird thing. Yes. Uh, but like Paul says all the time, rate review rate review please that that's actually the primary thing that we need your help on uh we don't get a lot of those um if you can go to wherever you do your listening if it's apple Podcasts, there is a rate and review system on there if you're on spotify at least like us give us like a you know a five-star review if you could i mean if you can't give us a five-star like don't do anything less than four uh, <laughs> four stars i hate it um it's just it it really is beneficial to us i I, we really appreciate you visiting us uh if you're a first-time listener thank god you finally like came in at a good time because this is great right yes (laughs) 
but we're going to get it back into the good discussions got so um, yeah, we're getting, we're going to go steer back into the Twilight Zone, the '80s edition, good, bad, or otherwise, right? So yeah, but again, uh, just if you enjoy it, there's a lot of people know, right? That the more the merrier. So if you dig this, um, if we're rising above the fray of all, I don't know, all the other celebrity podcasts or true crime, and you enjoyed the conversation, let people know. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I think I think um, most people listen to podcasts anymore, right? So like, if you enjoy this conversation, be like, hey. Check it out. They just talked about yeah. some Vegas vampires and, and shit. It's a lot of fun. And and it's getting it's getting cold outside. It's getting weird outside. <laughs> so uh, start listening to the podcast. Share something with your friends so they can stay recluse. Uh, you know, we'd like that. <laughs> yeah. So all right, that's gonna do it for our discussion about the Night Stalker from 72. Let's talk about what we're doing next. And now, Mr. Serling. So Going on further into the Richard Matheson conversation and Dan Curtis, who was the producer of uh, the night stalker and was the director of the night strangler and went on to do uh, dark shadows and many other things. He was, there was another made for TV movie, uh, 1977's dark of night uh, that Dan, Dan Curtis, I believe directed. And is also the segments written by Richard Matheson. Uh, we're going to round out our, um, detours with more 70 stuff. I've heard nothing but good things about this, uh, anthology film. I cannot wait to get to it. I've not seen it. So let's get into it. I have not seen it either. And, uh, you know, it's our last spooky podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy it. And then, uh, you'll come back for some, Christmas, Christmas Christmas stuff stuff in the beginning of November, but whatever. Anyway, (laughs) that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm going to use a Mitch Hedberg joke. Um, like don't go visit a doctor named Dr. Acula because he'll just bite your neck. Like that's not a good joke, but I said it wrong. Beware the dark. I'm sure Mr. Kolchak will find the following facts of interest. Such formality from a man who always guzzles my beer.